Hello, romance book lovers. Welcome or welcome back to Tales from the Heart. I am Jenna Hart, and each week I post new episodes of my stories of crime and passion. Right now we're listening to Deadly Valentine, book one of the Valentine Mysteries. This week is episode 15, chapters 34 and 35. In this week's episode, we find out, did Tess survive the fire? And was it an accident or was it set? Now, if you're eager to follow along or get a bit ahead, you can download the entire ebook for free at jennahart.com and never miss the mystery or romance by hitting the subscribe button. And remember that all the details and links that you might need are just a click away in the description. Now snuggle up, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Chapter 34. Pain clued her in that she wasn't dead. The lack of cold told her she was inside somewhere. Things had turned out okay after all. Tess opened her eyes. The room was dim. The rising sun outside the window took its time spreading light into the room. She heard beeps. Looking towards them, she discovered a machine measuring something. Heart rate, maybe. She'd never liked hospitals. But at the moment, she couldn't be happier. She hadn't burned or frozen to death. She could put up with the sharp pain in her hip and the little barbs of pain stinging her arms under the bandages. Good morning, a nurse said as she entered Tess's room. You've got color in your cheeks, that's a good sign. Tess started to reply but found the sand in her throat made it impossible. Don't talk. The smoke and soot will have made your throat dry and sore. Here's some water. It will help. The nurse poured water from the pitcher beside Tess's bed. She set the cup on a table and rolled it so it floated over Tess's lap. Tess nodded her thanks. The nurse poked and prodded. How's the pain? Do you need something for it? Tess held out her hand, tilting it side to side to let the nurse know she was in pain, but it wasn't unbearable. I'll bring you something for it. The wound in your hip will be sore for a while and slow you down a bit. Your arms should feel better soon. My goodness, did you roll around in glass or something? Tess nodded. Good lord. She stood at the end of Tess's bed writing on a chart. When she hung it back on the bed, she said, The police are waiting to talk to you. Are you up to it? I'll see them, she managed to whisper. Here's some paper and a pen. Try not to strain your voice too much. Tess took the paper and pen and nodded to the nurse. I'll let the doctor know everything looks fine. He'll be in to see you shortly. Thank you, Tess whispered. A few moments later, Detective Johnson walked in. I've been growing tired of running into you all the time, especially like this. Tess nodded. You know the drill. I need to find out what you can tell me about who did this to you. Tess held her hands up in an I-don't-know gesture. Then she wrote on the paper, Asa. It's possible it's related. You're the third victim of that party. Have you gotten any threats or have any suspicious things happen? She shook her head. Then she remembered the car that had nearly hit her a week earlier. She wrote that down. Detective Showalter mentioned that before. I was thinking it was an accident, but in light of what happened last night, I guess we should add it to the mix. Tess lifted the glass of water and sipped. The cool liquid felt good against her dry, burnt throat. Why don't we go through your day yesterday? Who'd you meet with? Tess made a list for him. Then she wrote. Could it be related to Sarah's visit? That was my first concern. But I've checked on her and she's fine. As is the other woman and the butler. What about Jack Valentine? Detective Showalter gave me the impression you no longer worked with him. I saw him in Washington. She whispered. Not him. Are you sure? Maybe he didn't like being dumped. As a client, that is. Tess knew he meant as a lover, too, but didn't make a comment. She shook her head. You can talk to him, but it wasn't him. What time did you leave Washington? 
She held up her hand, showing five fingers. So you got home about seven? She nodded. He looked at her list again. About what time did Detective Showalter show up? She shrugged. Eight or so. Personal visit. She clarified. She decided Daniel probably was already in trouble for intruding on the case as it was. What did he want? Tess couldn't figure out why a personal visit from Daniel would matter, but answered him. Apologizing. For... Our friendship has been strained. She reached for the cup to wet her rough throat. Did he talk to you about the case? She shook her head. Not officially. You're pretty close with the Showalter family, aren't you? I was... She said, clarifying that their closeness was in the past. What was their relationship with Asa Worthington? Surprise lit Tessa's face. You don't think... He held up a hand. I'm just covering all bases, something you've been asking us to do. Tom and Asa are old friends. Tom gets annoyed and impatient, but he was probably Asa's best friend and ally. Helen loved Asa, but didn't like him, if that makes sense. She didn't like how he hurt people. She took another long sip of water. Maybe she should be writing all this down, but it was faster to talk, if only it didn't feel like she was talking with sandpaper in her mouth. And Detective Showalter? Tess remembered her conversation with Daniel about Asa the night before. I think he thought like his mother. Do you know about Mr. Worthington giving his shares of the company to Mr. and Mrs. Showalter? Tess nodded. Where was he going with this? They wouldn't have killed Asa for the business, and Tom was attacked too. He wouldn't have attacked himself. Do you know what would happen to those shares if Mr. and Mrs. Showalter die? Tess swallowed hard. Her mouth was dry, but now it wasn't just from smoke damage. I don't know. Detective Showalter's their only son. Wouldn't he get them? Tess squirmed in her bed, uncomfortable about the direction of this conversation. He doesn't want the family business. Detective Johnson inclined his head. Interesting that you didn't say he's not a murderer. I don't think he is. She said, feeling guilty for not saying it first. He was working that night. Detective Johnson didn't respond, which left Tess wondering if Daniel really was working that night. Tess heard movement at her door. Is there room for one more? The investigator from the Showalter's fire entered her room. Mike! Detective Johnson said. You on the case? He nodded. Looks like you lured the firebug to your house. I'm done for now. Detective Johnson said. Let me know if you think of anything that might help. How bad is it? Tess whispered to the investigator. Her voice was getting hoarser with each word she spoke. Bad enough. Let's hope you have some friends that will let you crash on their couch when you get out of here. Tess had known it was bad, but hearing it out loud was difficult. That was her home. A place she'd made for herself, and it was gone. Just like everything else in her life. I didn't like what I saw in the bedroom. He said. Treadmills aren't meant to go through doors. I couldn't get the door open. She managed to say. No. The track was blocked, so it couldn't open. Tess felt her stomach pitch as she realized it wasn't some strange fluke that had her trapped in her fiery room. Even though Detective Johnson had been questioning her, she still wondered if maybe the fire had been an accident. But now she knew for certain. She was supposed to have died. All doors and windows along the kitchen, the living area, and bathroom were rigged too. It would have taken some time to do that. He said, Did anyone know you were going to be away yesterday? Regina, I left the office early. Could have done it earlier, while you were at the office as well. He said, There's more. More. Tess wasn't sure she could handle any more. Your office was burned, too. It's not as bad as your home, but... How bad? It's mostly paper. The arsonist made a bonfire out of your files. The sprinkler was tampered with as well, but just in your office. 
Once it spread, the sprinklers from the other areas of the building helped prevent it from overtaking other offices. Any idea who'd want to do this? Probably the same guy that attacked Tom. That fire was different. If it is him, he changed tactics. And he wasn't just after you, but your documents as well. Just like when Asa was killed, Tess said. There was a fire that night, too. He asked. Just in a trash can. What documents do you think he was after? He asked. Tess didn't know, but she couldn't help but wonder if it was the information linking Jack to Delia. How weird that Delia, too, was killed in a fire. Tess wanted to mention that, but felt that it was too far-fetched. Maybe he thinks Tom and I know something. Her voice was fading. What? I don't know. So, burning the paper was getting rid of evidence, and killing you and Tom was about getting rid of loose ends. The investigator summarized. Panic hit Tess in a rush. Oh God, Jack. Jack has my files. If the murderer was after the files, Jack was in danger too. Who's Jack? The investigator asked. I gave him the files. He could be in danger. She reached for the phone by her bed. Hold on, I can call. Tell me who this Jack person is. Tess's voice was too far gone to tell him everything. So she simply wrote down his number and begged him to call. She realized that if the files did put Jack in danger, then the information about Delia could be the reason. She reached for the pitcher to pour more water so she could tell the fire investigator about Delia, but the movement caused stabbing pains into her side. Let me help you. He poured the water into her cup and handed it back to her. She took a sip and then asked, Are you able to look into old cases like a fire over 30 years ago? One brow rose. That's before your time. Why would you be interested in an old fire? It might be related. That had his other brow rising. I'm listening. About 34 years ago, a woman, Delia Jackson and her baby, were killed in a fire. It was ruled an accident, kerosene. She was down to a whisper, so the inspector moved closer to her. Unfortunately, those fires are common. What would make you think it was related? Delia's information was in a folder on Asa's computer the night he was killed. He gave her a skeptical stare. I won't even ask you how you know that. It seemed odd, so I looked into it. At the time of her death, she worked for Senator Worthington. This time his face fell. The senator. You want me to check an old case involving the senator? A case that's over 30 years old and was ruled an accident? Her head bobbed up and down. Miss Madison, I like my job. She had hoped that he would be intrigued by the idea. But she reminded herself that he was a native of Jefferson Tavern. And of course, wouldn't do anything that went against the town's top family. She couldn't blame him. Things weren't going so well for her. She gave a sheepish smile. The woman's mother thought the fire was suspicious. Then she should have filed a complaint back then. Against the fire department and the senator. You have a point. But I still don't see how the fires can be related. I know it's far-fetched, but there are four fires involving people who are connected to the senator and his family or friends. The more she thought about it, the more it all fit together. He thought a moment. I'll pull the records, but that's all I can do. She smiled and whispered. Thank you. You keep trying to talk, and you're going to need a throat transplant. Get some rest. I'll call this Jack character and check back with you later. The fire investigator was barely out the door when Daniel rushed in. Tess, God, are you all right? He grabbed her hand and squeezed. She winced at the pain. Sorry, what happened? Unable to say more, she pulled out the pen and paper and gave him the basic gist of what she'd been through. As he read the note, she studied his face. Why would Detective Johnson be so curious about Daniel? 
And why didn't Daniel have an alibi for the night Asa was killed? But his face remained concerned, worried even. When he looked at her again, she saw what he was thinking, but he didn't want to ask. She shook her head. He didn't do it, she wrote on the paper. You said he was angry. Friday, not yesterday. He took her hand again. Agree to disagree, but I'm sticking around to keep you safe. She took the paper back. Where were you the night Asa was killed? He gave her a quizzical look. You know, I was called to work. You heard the call. The whole time? He shifted. Tess noted the discomfort on his face. What's this about? Detective Johnson questioned me, she wrote on the paper. He moved away from her, pacing the area beside her bed. So now you think I killed him? She didn't respond. I can't believe you, Tess. Jack fought with Asa and stole information off his laptop, and you still defend him. I wasn't even in the house and have a short window of unaccounted for time. And you think I did it just because Asa and I didn't see eye to eye about my profession? Tess wrote quickly. See how easily circumstances can make one look guilty. So you're teaching me a lesson? She shook her head and wrote. Suspect everyone, look at everyone, find proof. I'm not a part of the investigation. I only know what I get from Johnson, and it leans towards Jack. Then why was he asking about you? She jotted quickly. He shook his head. I don't know. Where were you that night? She pushed the paper toward him, feeling like he was keeping something from her. He sighed, as if he was resigned to something. You're going to be really ticked when you hear this. He said. I did go on the call. When it was done, I figured Asa would be in the middle of whatever the hell he was going to do and, well, I didn't want to go. So I drove up to Jefferson Ridge. Were you going to come back for me? Tess couldn't believe what he was saying. Yes, of course. I just figured you fit in more with them anyway and Dad was there. I'd just show up near the end and not have to suffer. Tess madly scribbled on the paper. Left me to suffer? I told you that you'd be ticked. I'm sorry, Tess. I really am. It still left him without an alibi unless someone saw him up on Jefferson Ridge. But she looked into the eyes of her friend and knew he wasn't a killer. You should be nicer to Jack. Circumstances aren't so good for you either, she wrote. He laughed. Would you defend me as ardently? She nodded. He reached out and took her hand again. This time he was gentler. I was scared to death when I got the call about the fire and your condition. It's how I felt about Tom, she said in a whisper. You've been through a lot because of me. I'm sorry. Dad's doing okay. He's holding his own. He comes in and out of consciousness but so far hasn't been able to tell us much. When you can move, I'll arrange for you to see him. Thank you. Do you need anything? More drugs, maybe? She nodded. She definitely needed drugs. Let me find the nurse. Oh, and I called Regina. I suspect she'll be by shortly. Tess realized that she had no office or files to work with. It looked like Regina was going to get to put her eBay business to the test. Chapter 35 Tess woke to the sound of shuffling. She opened her eyes to see Regina setting several bags in the corner. Oh, hey, you're up. Regina said when she finished with the bags. Did I wake you? Not really. I was here earlier, but you were out. Earlier? What time is it? Tess shifted and was reminded of the wound on her hip. You okay? Should I get the nurse? No, I'm all right. As long as I don't move or breathe. Regina dragged a chair closer to the bed and sat. What time is it? Tess asked again. It's a little after ten. I didn't want to wake you earlier, so we went to the store and picked up a few things for when you get out of here. We? Mrs. Showalter was here too, with Daniel, but he didn't come shopping with us. You went shopping with Helen. 
Had Tess entered the Twilight Zone, an alternate reality where Helen was still her friend, Regina nodded. We figured all your clothes were ruined. It's just a few things. Some jeans, a few shirts. Although you'll be pleased to know that there is not a single pair of white underwear in the lot. Tess, you've been holding out on me. I didn't know you had a sexy bra fetish. It doesn't seem very professional to talk to my assistant about my underwear. Regina laughed. I have a whole new respect for you now. Because I don't like boring underwear? Because underneath all the professional control, you're a sexy woman. I must be doped up because I can't believe I'm talking to you about this. But it was all Tess could do to keep from asking Regina to get her clean undergarments and help her to the restroom. She felt like every crevice of her body was filled with soot. I also got you a toothbrush, toothpaste, the whole drill. I don't think I pay you enough. I also called your appointments for the day and let them know you were sick. And I have all the insurance information when you're ready to tackle that mountain. She ticked off all the tasks she completed. Now I know I don't pay you enough. But how'd you get the information? I was told everything was burned. Not everything. Regina reached into her purse and pulled out a metal contraption the size of a sandwich. This was in the firebox. What is it? It's the computer backup. It doesn't have all the latest stuff, but it has enough that I think we can piece the missing information together again. I can't believe you, um... Tess stopped as she realized what could be on the backup drive. Is Mr. Valentine's information on there? Yes. Do you have a safe deposit box? Of course I do. You made me get it for all the girls' birth certificates and stuff. What's up? You're looking a little panicked. Don't tell anyone about that. Tess pointed to the box. Go to the bank and hide it in the safe deposit box. And don't tell anyone. Okay. Regina drew out the word in a tone that suggested she thought Tess was experiencing a drug-induced paranoia. All the fires have involved burning documents. Someone doesn't want whatever information I have about Jack. At least that was what she'd come to believe. Oh. Regina dropped the backup drive into her purse like it burned her fingers. I'll do it first thing when I leave. Tess hoped it would be enough. She could deal with her own mishaps, but wouldn't know what to do if something happened to Regina and her girls. Where is your valentine? Oh God, he survived, didn't he? Regina's eyes widened in horror. It took a moment for Tess to realize that Regina had thought Jack was with her. She'd taken for granted that he'd forgive and forget. He's fine as far as I know. He wasn't with me. Regina looked confused. You did go to see him, didn't you? Yes, but he wasn't interested in what I had to say. No. Regina looked shocked. He's gaga over you. No way he didn't take you back. He's not gaga anymore. Regina shook her head. That's not right. It's his pride. Men in their dumb pride. She shook her head again. Fool. Tess hoped she was talking about Jack. So, when are they going to let you out? Regina asked. The doctor is making his way up the hall. Daniel said as he entered Tess's room. Hopefully he'll have good news for you. He looked at the bags in the corner. Mission accomplished. Yes. Regina stood as if to leave. How about you? You're looking a little better. Daniel stood at the end of her bed. I'm just glad I'm alive. Tess said. Do you need anything? Water? Jello? I'm a little thirsty. Let me... Regina poured a cup from the small pitcher next to Tess's bed. As she handed Tess the cup, her door opened again and the doctor entered. You've got a full house, he said approaching her. Daniel and Regina moved out of his way. I've got good news and bad news. Which do you want to hear first? He was kidding, right? The good news, I guess. The good news is that you should be able to go home today. Really? That was good news. I'm a doctor. I know these things. Your vitals are good. Your wound wasn't deep, just long. 
There's nothing we can do for you here that you can't do somewhere else. So what's the bad news? Daniel asked. The bad news is that you don't have a home to go to. I can't discharge you until I know you have a place to go and someone to watch over you. You'll be able to leave, but you'll want to stay in bed and rest for several more days. While your wound isn't life-threatening, it will hurt and limit your mobility for a while. She can stay at my place. Daniel said. Tess knew he was being her friend, but she couldn't bring herself to agree to stay at his home. She began to feel that she was right back where she started. Daniel slowly working his way to being more than a friend. Now that Jack was out of the picture, there was nothing stopping him from resuming his quest, or stopping her from allowing it. And that was her fear. With Jack, she'd discovered that she really didn't want to spend her life alone. At this point, Daniel was the only other interested party, and the only one that Tess felt close to. It would be a safe relationship. The kind she and Brad had originally agreed to forge. It would be caring, although not romantic or passionate. Tess wasn't sure she was ready to give up on having that kind of love. She wasn't ready to give up on Jack. She needs someone to stay with her. The doctor said. You can't leave her while you work. Not a problem. I'll have Sarah come over. The senator is in Washington. Mom spends most of her day here. And Philip and Shelby are back at their own place, so no one will miss her. Plus, I think she'll be glad to be out of the house. He gave Tess a knowing look. I want to wait until this afternoon to be sure. But if things continue to progress, we'll get the discharge papers ready then. I'll have Walter drive Sarah to my place, and I'll check back to pick you up later. Daniel said. Tess tried to smile, but the doubt wouldn't let her. The doctor didn't notice. He left indicating he was fine with the arrangements. Tess looked to Regina for support. Regina gave her a weak smile. I'd let you stay with me, but when the girls are there, it's a madhouse. Not very restful for you. Daniel's eyes narrowed as if he finally caught on to her resistance. It will be fine, Tess. No complications. You can stay as long as you need or like. She can stay with me. The voice sent her spirit soaring. But when she looked into Jack's angry eyes, her hopes plunged. He stalked into the room, eyes piercing everyone until landing on her. Why didn't you call me or you? He said, slashing his gaze to Daniel. Or you. To Regina. I don't work for you, and why would we call anyway? Regina moved, stood in his face, and waited for him to flinch. He didn't, but he didn't return the aggression either. Didn't Detective Johnson or the fire investigator call? Daniel asked in a cool tone. No doubt to interrogate me. The testosterone was building to unbearable proportions. But all Tess could do was lie in her bed and wonder why he was here when he was still so mad at her. Done with her. Write this down. He demanded of Daniel. George Akers, he's the doorman at my place in D.C. He'll give you the security tapes that show me entering and not leaving my building last night. And Brad Chancellor, he can verify I was at my place as well as Cora Peterson. If you want to know anything else after that, we can talk later. Right now, I'd like to talk to Tess, alone. All eyes turned to Tess. It didn't seem wise to leave her alone in a room with a man that had murder in his eyes. But she nodded anyway. When the others left, Jack paced the area at the foot of her bed. Was anyone going to call me? I asked Inspector Chase to call. I was worried because you have the files and that seems to be what this is about. He stopped and stared at her incredulously. You wanted to call me about files? She swallowed hard. The drugs were buzzing just enough that she couldn't get a read on him. Yes. You didn't think I'd care to know that someone tried to kill you? His eyes narrowed, darkened even more. You think I did this to you? No. No, never. Did he really think that? Why are you here? He whirled on her. Yesterday you begged me to forgive you. 
to take you back. Now you don't want me here? The drug-induced fog lifted enough to get her hackles up. I'm sorry I'm not able to grovel right now. My house and office burned down. I've got a hole in my side and charcoal for lungs. I don't have the energy to get on my knees and beg right now. God damn it, Tess. He started pacing again, both hands running through his unkempt hair. He stopped, his gaze intense on her. Do you know what it did to me to drive up to your house and find it burnt to a crisp? To not know what happened to you? Is that why you're mad? I am mad. You know why I'm mad? Because I hurt you. No. He stalked to her side, his blue-green eyes alive with something Tess couldn't comprehend. I'm mad because you were in my office yesterday telling me you love me, and instead of jumping over my desk and taking you in my arms like I wanted to, I walked out. Oh. It sort of sounded like he was mad at himself. Maybe he was here because he loved her. But it wasn't clear. There was so much anger in his voice. His words and affect didn't match, and it confused her. And then when I realized my mistake and drove down here, to think I could have lost you. To think that my last words to you were said to hurt you. I'm all right. He stood over her bed, staring at her, his face still not giving her clues as to what was going on behind his brilliant eyes. He was saying the right things, but maybe now he'd changed his mind again. I lost my dad when I was young, and it was tough, but my mom always reminded me of what I had, how we had to live each day to the fullest. Even when she was dying, it was about capturing every moment and not letting anything that could lead to regret slip by. But I keep doing that with you. His face softened, turning from frustration and anger to guilt. My pride got the best of me yesterday, Tess, and I nearly lost you because of it. His hand was tentative as it took hers. To answer your question, I'm here to tell you I love you and ask for your forgiveness. Okay, you can do that. He laughed in relief. Okay, then, I love you. Will you forgive me? Does that mean you forgive me? It does. Then it's only fair that I forgive you. She couldn't help the silly grin that spread. She hurt. She was loopy but she was ridiculously happy. It's only fair. He agreed, his grin mimicking hers. He leaned in closer to her, his lips a whisper from hers. Tell me again. I need to hear you tell me again. She knew what he meant. She could see the need of it in his eyes. She had that same need, the need to tell him. I love you. Ah, uh, Tess. He dipped his head, his lips caressing hers in a kiss that was so gentle, so loving, it brought tears. Did I hurt you? He whispered as his thumb wiped a stray tear. No, I'm just being silly. He smiled and dipped again. This time his kiss, while still gentle, was firmer and longer. She thought she would suffocate but didn't care. If she had to go, kissing Jack seemed like the best way to do it. Ahem. Jack's lips left hers only by a fraction. We're busy. He kissed her again. Let me know when you're done. I'll wait. Tess laughed even while Jack's kiss persisted. Finally, he pulled away. Is he still there? Tess looked around his body. Yes, it's the fire investigator. Jack moved away, but Tess took his hand to keep him close. I take it this is Jack. You should check your messages. I'm Mike Chase, the fire investigator. Jack nodded his hello. I have some information on that fire you asked about. Mike said, That was quick. You said it could be related to the current string of fires, so it warranted a look. I asked him to look at the report of the fire that killed Delia. Tess watched Jack's face for any sign of anger but instead he squeezed her hand. So what did you learn? Jack asked, turning his focus to the investigator. The fire started around a kerosene heater, as the report said. So it was an accident. He shifted. There's nothing, at least in the report and the photos, to suggest the fire was set. 
No strange burn patterns or use of accelerant beyond the kerosene and the heater. Well, I guess that's good news. Tess again looked to Jack. She wasn't sure about his feelings towards Delia and his relationship with her, but she was sure Cora wouldn't buy it, and Jack had to be thinking about that. But it is odd that the baby wasn't found. That alone should have triggered a deeper investigation. And the position of her body. Well, there's just something about it that is off. How off? Jack asked. Well, people just don't sleep like that. Unless maybe it was a suicide. What do you think it means? Tess asked. I don't know. I do know that if I was the investigator at the time, I'd want to look a little deeper into the missing baby and the autopsy. There was an autopsy, Tess said. There was, but I'm not sure how deep it went. It was clear she asphyxiated and burned, but... You think it's possible she was incapacitated before the fire? Tess finished. I don't think anything, but it's something I would have wanted to look into. The investigator of the time is long gone, so we can't find out if he had the same feeling. Do you think it was closed quickly because of the senator? Jack asked. I can't say if there was any intervening on the senator's part, but I wouldn't be surprised if people determined that fire didn't look suspicious, and it was the senator's aid, so it was closed quickly. I know there isn't enough there to open the case again, especially since there is a senator involved. So we didn't gain anything from it. Tess felt so certain there was a connection, but maybe it was just a coincidence. A very strange, unlikely coincidence. He shrugged. I'm certainly going to keep it in the back of my mind as I look into your fire and Mr. Showalter's. But beyond that, I can't do much with it. Thank you for looking into it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tales from the Heart. I hope that you enjoyed it and that you will be back to find out what happens next. It appears Jack and Tess are on track for a happily ever after, but there is still a killer at large. How is this mystery going to be solved? To make sure that you don't miss any episodes, hit the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are posted. And don't forget that you can get the ebook of Deadly Valentine for free through my website at jennahart.com. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, this is Jenna Hart wishing you peace, love, and happily ever after.